0: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Nick. I think, I think you had the first question in that introduction, with a, uh, I'd like to state for the record, a rewrite of uh, how we describe our conditional commitment, but we can go back into that. Um, I'd also like to thank all of you for coming. Um, it takes um, either a scheduling error or some nerve to come to a speech uh, by a central bank governor uh, the week before Christmas, uh, when everyone's getting in the right mood, everyone seemed to be in the right mood. Um, uh, There's no punch bowl for me to take away, all I can do uh, is to uh, talk long enough to keep you prudently away from the malls, uh, as was suggested. (laughs) So I hope there's a lot of tape in those cameras. Um, Obviously, this is the holiday season uh, in full swing, and uh, as the season approaches, our attention uh, turns to the home front, and accordingly, uh, my comments this afternoon uh, we 'll focus on households, in particular the implications of household finances for financial stability in our country. Now, I last spoke publicly here in Toronto a year ago, almost to the day, and then the global financial crisis was buffeting the real economy. Businesses were post- postponing large investments, households were hesitating and canceling most major purchases. It was clear then that 2009 would be a difficult year, and so it has proved. With over 400,000 jobs lost and a $30 billion fall in output, the Canadian economy has suffered a deep, albeit brief, recession. Aujourd'hui, les perspectives sont plus favorables, bien que des vulnérabilités considérables subsistent. La reprise économique à l'échelle du globe est maintenant soutenue par plusieurs facteurs. Premièrement, l'effet de rétroaction entre les marchés financiers. Et l'économie réelle s'est inversée. Dans la plupart des grandes économies, le cycle des stocks s'est également inversé et le secteur de logement se stabilise. En août, les importantes mesures d'expansion budgétaire et de relance monétaire soutiennent la demande intérieure. Néanmoins, la banque s'attend à ce que la demande sous du secteur privé, dont de nombreuses économies ne se redressent que lentement. Les ajustements notables apportés au bilan ainsi que sur le plan structurel n'ayant pas encore fait sentir les effets. En particulier, elle prévoit que le redressement de la consommation aux États-Unis sera plus modeste que dans les cycles précédents. This slower consumption growth in the United States will have direct implications for Canada. While the Canadian economy will likely grow faster than the rest of the G7 next year, the bank expects our recovery to be more protracted and more reliant on domestic demand than usual. In the near term, Canada will grow despite, not because of, the pace of external activity. Thus, the behavior of Canadian households will be particularly important. But before turning to that issue in more detail, I'd like to briefly review the challenges facing American households, both for their direct impact on Canada and for the insights they offer for financial stability. For a generation, Americans increasingly saved through capital appreciation rather than from current income. Over the last three decades, U.S. consumer spending grew substantially faster than than national income, driving the ratio of consumption to GDP up From 62% to over 70%. In the same period, the personal savings rate in the States fell from 11% to 1% of disposable income, and household debt doubled. Financial innovations, including home equity loans and securitization, drove these trends. Initially, they increased financial efficiency, diversified risk, and smoothed consumption. But over time, these financial technologies were applied increasingly indiscriminately, Prudence gave way to exuberance to such an extent that the subprime mortgage market became a mainstay of the U.S. expansion. When the U.S. housing bubble collapsed under its own weight, households with the least resilience were hardest hit. An important lesson of the American experience was that the the costs of the collapse were borne not just by the most vulnerable households. In a now familiar chain, problems in the subprime sector quickly spread to prime mortgages, structured products in general, core funding markets and ultimately to the capital bases of most major financial institutions. Eventually, virtually every financial asset in the world was repriced. The point is that financial stability is as much about linkages as it is about specific risks and that shocks can have large unanticipated consequences. A lengthy period of adjustment for US consumers has just begun. A 30% decline in wealth has prompted a quadrupling of the US personal savings rate. Nonetheless, household debt levels have not fallen substantially, and the consumer spending as a share of GDP in the United States has actually increased. Given the historic declines in net worth and the looming need to save for retirement, it appears clear that US savings household savings need to remain elevated for an extended period. The new equilibrium for these savings will depend on multiple factors, including wealth effects, risk aversion, the employment outlook, and the credibility of American fiscal policy. The Bank of Canada currently projects that the U.S. personal savings rate will average around 5.5% over the next two years. This is a level that is consistent with ultimately stabilizing the U.S. net foreign liability position and with rebuilding U.S. household wealth to longer-term averages. This sustained higher savings rate will produce a historically weak recovering U.S. consumer spending and accounts for the bank's relatively subdued forecast for overall U.S. economic growth. Turning to Canada, Canadian household finances were in better shape going into this crisis than Americans. The Canadian personal savings rate was higher and household debt was lower. Our ratio of consumer spending to GDP at 55% was below the longer-term average in this country and obviously substantially below the level in the U.S. And as a consequence, when the crisis struck, Canadian households were less vulnerable. In addition, throughout the downturn, Canadian labour and housing markets held up better, with the consequence that incomes and net worth of Canadians were not as hard-hit as those of American. Still, Canadians have saved more, The personal savings rate in this country has risen to an eight-year high of 5.5% in the second quarter, and the bank projects that this rate will moderate only slightly over the medium term. We view the sharp increase in savings as largely precautionary, that is, reflecting uncertainties about the economic outlook and financial conditions. So as our economy begins to grow again, and confidence is gradually restored, we expect that some of these precautionary savings will be unwound so that some consumers will take further advantage of unusually low borrowing rates. Indeed, our current stimulative monetary policy is meant in part to encourage such behavior. Stronger growth in domestic consumption will be necessary to offset weak external demand in order to restore the Canadian economy to balance and our inflation rate to target. Recent data have been consistent with these expectations. Now, Going forward, there are risks on both sides to this outlook. Canadian households could remain more cautious, chastened by the recent financial and economic trauma, leading to more durably elevated savings rate. Some of the issues brought forward by the crisis, such as retirement funding, could also alter household savings behaviour in the nearer term. And finally, a more protracted U.S. and global recoveries could restrain household behaviour by affecting both confidence and the economic prospects of Canadians. On the other hand, there is a risk that as growth returns, the resilience of Canadian households through the crisis could lead to declines in the savings rate that are sharper and increases in household borrowing that are larger than the bank has projected. Whatever happens, the bank's monetary policy reaction to consumer behaviour will always be driven by its implications taken in conjunction with all other relevant factors for inflation over the medium-term horizon. But household finances are also important for the financial system stability. As was painfully learned from the U.S. experience, a stable financial system is fundamental for the effective functioning of, of the economy and the financial welfare of its citizens. And in this regard, there are two important considerations. First. Price and financial stability share common determinants, but have different time horizons. Inflation continuously reflects real shocks and/ or policy responses, while financial vulnerabilities are much less predictable. Financial vulnerabilities develop over time and can persist for longer than expected. Simply put, behavior consistent with price stability over the medium term could simultaneously build financial stresses over a longer horizon. And the second consideration is that when when evaluating the financial condition of Canadians, we need to look beyond the aggregate for possible changes in the distribution of debt amongst households. So in in the Bank's most recent financial system report published last week, we judged that most of the risks to stability of the Canadian financial system have ebbed, have reduced, in recent months. At the same time, however, we are concerned that the risks related to household balance sheets, have increased further. The vulnerability of Canadian households to adverse wealth and income shocks has grown in recent years. Aggregate debt levels have risen sharply relative to income. Those debt levels have continued to grow fairly rapidly this year, unusually so for a recession. For some households, this additional indebtedness has translated into increased financial stress. Personal bankruptcies in Canada rose 41% in the third quarter from the same period a year ago, leaving the number of bankruptcies as a proportion of the population at its highest level since 1991. As well, delinquency rates on loans have risen, increasing by over half over the past year. So in order to better understand the vulnerability of Canadian households and the potential consequences of it for financial stability, the bank undertakes regular stress tests. This past June we reported on the potential impact of a more severe economic downturn on household finances and the, the results uh, illustrated that an increase in unemployment could produce loan losses for financial institutions representing about 10% of Tier 1 capital. While the near-term risks from a further sharp deterioration in labour markets have diminished, the bank believes that the overall risk to financial stability arising from the household sector have continued to increase. In particular, the combination of sustained growth of household debt relative to income and and a rising interest rate environment could increase the vulnerability of households to an adverse shock. So our stress test uh, announced last week, which looked at the potential impact of growing debt and rising interest rates on the debt service ratio of Canadian households. The The simulation generates a scenario that indicates that by the middle of 2010, Almost one in ten Canadian households would have a debt service ratio greater than 40%, and that's the threshold at which households are considered financially vulnerable. Moreover, the percentage of debt owed by these vulnerable households would almost double. Both of these metrics would be at historic peaks. Now, while those uh, simulation results are purely illustrative, they do give pause for reflection. It would not be healthy, To have almost 20% of household debt extended to vulnerable households, nor is it necessary to secure our economic recovery. The risks from household debt are not isolated to the most vulnerable. In the event of an economic shock, increased loan loss provisions and reduced quality of remaining loans could lead to tighter credit conditions more broadly and in turn to mutually reinforcing declines in real activity and in the health of the financial sector. While these broader effects are difficult to anticipate with precision, some sectors such as retail and housing would likely be more affected than others. And such a shock would also affect certain segments of the capital market, and more fundamentally, uh, lead to a generalized rise in risk premia with attendant negative implications for a variety of asset prices. So to conclude, At present, the risks arising from the Canadian household sector are relatively low. Indeed, by some measures, Canadian household finances appear quite healthy. The current rate of mortgage arrears, for example, has remained more than one-third below its peak in 1990. Going into the crisis, Canadians did carry considerably less debt than their American counterparts, and that still remains true today despite recent increases. In addition, data released on Monday showed that rebounding housing and financial markets have increased Canadian household net worth to 590% of disposable income by the end of the third quarter, above its 10-year average. Nonetheless, asset prices can rise and fall, but debt endures. Moreover, the linkages between the real economy and the financial sector are complex and nonlinear, and that's why we can't afford to be complacent. Indeed, it's one of the reasons why the bank uses publications such as our financial system report to profile risks to our system in order to help prevent these risks from materializing. It is when risks are still manageable that it is the best time to act. And Seasoned travelers in Canada know this well. That's why they get their snow tires on before the snow and ice make it more challenging to drive. In Ottawa, this is late August. It's also why you book on a 7 a.m. flight from Ottawa, in order that with cancellations and delay, you can just make uh, your speech uh, in Toronto. Um, But like winter travellers, we must be vigilant, and all parties must fulfill their responsibilities. Responsibility obviously starts with the individual. Our advice to Canadians has been consistent. We've weathered a severe economic crisis, one that has required extraordinary fiscal and monetary measures. Extraordinary measures are a means to an end, the return to the ordinary. Although we expect the recovery to be gradual and protracted, these measures are working. Ordinary times will return, and with them, more normal interest rates and costs of borrowing. It's the responsibility of households now to ensure that in the future, when the recovery takes hold and extraordinary measures are unwound, They can still service their debts. Similarly, lenders have responsibilities. Financial institutions should actively monitor risks stemming from households and not take false comfort from either mortgage insurance or the past performance of household credit. Our simulations suggest that the overall credit profile of Canadian households could well shift if debt continues to grow at current rates. The Bank of Canada expects that Canadian financial institutions will continue to apply their high standards of risk management for which they are being justly lauded the world over. And finally, policymakers and regulators, including the Bank of Canada, have responsibilities as well. The Bank is working intensively with OSFI at the Basel Committee on the Design of New International Capital and Liquidity Standards, and the Bank collaborates closely with the Federal Department of Finance and other federal agencies to monitor evolving risks and take appropriate actions. I'd like to uh, thank you for your attention, since I've lost my last page. Um, that was the bit about where interest rates are going, uh, in the short term. I <laughs> just can't remember it. Um, we can leave that to the Q&A, but no, I thank you for your attention, and uh, we'll open it up to questions. Yeah, I'm ready.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Carney. Uh, Mr. Carney has graciously uh, agreed to accept questions from the audience, and so we have one microphone over at this end and one microphone over at that end. Um, So please go ahead, approach the uh, the microphone if you have a question, or you can raise your hand and you can raise your hand and the microphone will come to you.
2: Thank right. you. Uh, Dan Whittle from Vancouver. So it's nice to be here. Thank you for your hospitality. Do you see any regional differences with this debt scenario you were talking about, West, Central Canada, and the East? Any significant changes there? Or to be concerned about in the regions? Did I phrase
0: that right? I, I, I just didn't get regional differences with respect to <clears throat> You're talking about the family
2: the... debt yes. concerns, or yeah. some regions of the country more or less at risk with your concerns? Uh,
0: I, I, I wouldn't regionalize it. I think it's an issue of, um, I mean, any issues in credit, there, there's differentiations in credit and that includes household credit. Um, there's households across the country who um, are close to being um, uh, fully extended, shall we say, in terms of borrowing. And, uh, and uh, the important thing is to, uh, is to pause at this point and consider about additional, uh, additional liabilities. Uh, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't regionalize it. It's, uh, it's uh, these patterns are fairly broad across the country. One over on
2: the left. Yeah. Uh, Rima from Niagara. Uh, a most interesting presentation. Uh, I guess uh, in recessions, inflations come and go. I'd like to um, maybe go beyond the uh, present problems, and looking at from a global point of view between America and Canada, what will result from the corrections that we've made and what they've made in terms of maybe bringing us closer because the two economies are very closely tied. And what is the future hold between uh, America and Canada in terms of uh, trade, growth, dollar? I'm using a comparison to the European Union. For example, they developed a common currency. Is there anything... uh, in the long term, that will bring us closer with the Americans in terms of the economic structures.
0: Okay. Um, well, I, I think the fr- I'd, I'd, I'd start with a different path. Actually, to, it's, a, it's a very good question, but I, I'd take it in a different direction. Which I think one of the one of the points we've tried to make, and maybe I wasn't clear enough in my remarks, is that um, the traditional uh, engine of the U.S. economy is uh, is going to be operating at a slower slower pace uh, for a considerable period of time. Uh, that is the U.S. consumer as, as their balance sheets are rebuilt. That has implications for a Canadian business. That doesn't mean the U.S. consumer disappears. It doesn't mean U.S. demand disappears. It doesn't mean the U.S. economy stops being the largest uh, economy in the world in, in market terms uh, for a foreseeable time. But on the margin, it is a less attractive place for Canadian business uh, to look. Um, and on the margin, other economies have become more attractive. Um, so the element of... More intense there is a longer-term pattern of, of more intense integration with the United States economic integration with the United States, um, but it is, um, has more competition now, which is welcome um, uh, for a variety of reasons for Canada, not least from diversification perspective. Um, and it's also welcome because Canadian businesses, Canadian financial institutions, are in good shape going into what is a pretty profound structural change in, in global demand to take advantage. Now, all that said, uh, it is a profound shift and it will take time to take advantage. To answer your question specifically in terms of institutional structures, I would say that some of the, at this point in time, with some of the progress that's being made on, on some of the financial institution reforms at the G20 level, um, it is likely that the way the US financial system is organized will look more Canadian, uh, which is a good thing, um, but that does not imply a, a, a deeper integration. It, it will have a more resilient system as a result of it, but not a deeper integration on a broader institutional side. That's uh, what sorry.
1: do you think the chances are of the uh, second credit um, uh, crunch? Uh, specific, there's lots of references to commercial real estate in the U.S. Uh, and household debt in Eastern Europe. What do you think the... Uh, what might shake out there?
0: Well, I, th- I think the, the commercial real estate situation in the United States is something that is um, closely followed. Um, it is uh, a very difficult situation. Um, it has been um, integrated not just into the business plans, but the, the regulatory capital demands of core financial institutions in the U.S., um, and so it is not a... It is going to be a difficult situation for a period of time, but it is not going to be a shock to the system. Uh, and there's a big difference between, between the two. Um, uh, in the global sense, well, um, household debt in Eastern Europe, you, you referenced, uh, well, that is an important local issue. It is not a material global issue or a Canadian issue. Uh, the linkages are principally concentrated in Europe and through the European financial system, and it's a risk which, on the margin, is slightly diminished in, in recent months.
1: We'll have one more question sure. on the right, here.
0: Uh, good, good afternoon,
1: my name's Brenton Sabatura from uh, Equity Foreign Exchange Services. Uh, my question is, given the recent stellar existing home sales data out of Canada this week, is there pause for concern a house in may occur within Canada if and when the Bank of Canada increases its uh, key lending interest rate.
0: Sorry, if you could just repeat the last sentence of your question, which you had stellar data and then you had...
1: Yeah, is there a pause for concern? A housing bubble may occur within Canada if and when the Bank of Canada tightens its interest rate.
0: Well, our decision um, on the interest rate will be dictated by our mandate for monetary policy, which is, which is very clear, uh, 2% CPI inflation over the medium term. Um, and, and that is the only focus of monetary policy. I spent time, as, as you heard, maybe too much, but talking about household finances from a financial stability perspective, which is a different time horizon. It obviously has feedback implications for the economy, um, but uh, indirect implications for monetary policy. So, we, w- monetary policy in Canada does not target specific assets. It doesn't target asset prices in general. Uh, asset prices are not unimportant to the functioning of the economy, but in the end, monetary policy will uh, be set in order to achieve that 2% target. Sure, I'll take two more.
2: Bernie Wolf. Um, Governor Carney, um, you covered um, uh, links between the Canadian and U.S. economies. Um, There are, as you said, profound structural changes that are taking place here. Um, I was wondering if there are implications in what you said today for exchange rates.
0: There's always implications for exchange, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but one hesitates to draw them out. Um, very carefully, so a little bit of that that creates a window for another question. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Uh, Robert Koch from New York. Your comments cited uh, the personal savings rate in terms of the long-term trends. Uh, being up to 5% now. How do you think about what the appropriate level for personal savings rate should be for the country?
0: Well, uh, the personal savings rate in that um, order of magnitude, 5 6%, bouncing around that, uh, is consistent with consumption to GDP has gone up. Uh, it, it's consistent with longer-term average of consumption to GDP—that's the first thing. Um, that's not the sole way one grounds um, what optimal savings is. In fact, it's a very crude way of grounding it, uh, but at least it's it's one check. Um, obviously, uh, um, net worth is 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 crucial, and the ultimate and the demographic component um, are crucial as well. From our from our horizon, um, savings rate at current levels and actually slightly lower. Um, as some of that precautionary element comes out or is consistent uh, with the recovery that we're projecting for the Canadian economy, which has fairly strong consumption growth. Um, And consumption in Canada growing at about 3% uh, in 2010 and and into 2011. That's stronger than normal, or the contribution of consumption to our recovery, just so we're all clear here and trying to do what I was told to do, was to bring the, the, the different strands together, it is stronger than normal uh, for a recovery. Consumption and government are stronger than normal. Not surprisingly, net exports are, are weaker than normal given the situation in the United States. Okay. I think that's it. That's it. Great, thank you.
1: I would like to call Alfred Apps, President of the Empire Club of Canada, to
2: the podium. Mr. Governor, on behalf of the uh, audience here in the room and the wider audience of Canadians who benefited from your remarks today, I want to thank you. It was not long after your appointment was met with widespread enthusiasm and congratulations that that melted into anxiety and great empathy for the challenges you faced. And uh, more subsequently, frankly, to relief on the part of Canadians at how well those challenges have been met. It is always the business of governors to be cautious and there was a certain elegance to your caution today. Uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, I wasn't sure whether we were going to be treated to a speech which could properly be titled, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, or whether it might be something about a positive Christmas yet to come. In any event, we have been, as Nick said, on uncharted seas. For a fellow who is raised in a landlocked city, or icebound more lately, city like Edmonton, You've done a remarkable hand uh, job at keeping a steady hand on the tiller. And on behalf of all Canadians, while shepherds are watching their flocks and while children are looking for Santa's reindeer, we hope the bank will continue to watch for those signals that might suggest that a course should be changed in light of the fragility you've expressed. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Alfred. Thank you again, Mr. Carney, for your leadership. Guests, thank you for your attendance and questions. And to the TD Bank Financial Group, thank you again for making this event possible. This concludes our television programming, broadcast live on Rogers TV. We're grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. Happy holidays, everybody. This meeting is now adjourned.